I got a game for you. Okay, we're doing this mixtape series, right? It's all about music. So I got a little musical game where I'm going to ask you a question. And then what I need you to do is let me know which one's the right answer, okay? All right, so here's our first question for this morning. I want you to now tell me what the top country song is according to Billboard. You got it? Here's our four possibilities. The first one, I Walk the Line, Johnny Cash, Cruise by Florida Georgia Line, Convoy by C.W. McCall, or Chattahoochee by Alan Jackson. What do you think it is? Here we go. Maybe. It's coming. I can't. I don't know country music. Baby, you a song. You make me want to roll my windows down and cruise. Number one country song according to Billboard. Right there. Surprising, right? Here's our second question. Second question is, according to Billboard, what's the top R&B song of all time? Here's our list. I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston. Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. In the Club by 50 Cent. That's the one I would choose. Mary J. Blige, Be Without You. Which one do you think it is? I didn't even understand. It was all over the place. Here's the answer. Mary J. Blige, Blige Be Without You, as most of you probably aren't familiar with that one. But anyway, here's our last song, top pop song according, according to Billboard. Here we go, Locked Out of Heaven by Bruno Mars, Another Night, Real McCoy, Don't Speak, No Doubt, and of course, Nickelback, How You Remind Me. I always got to throw Nickelback in the mix. What do you think? I don't even know what you guys are saying. You're not even loud enough. All right, here we go. Here's the answer. It's Another Night by Real McCoy. How many of you remember that song? I didn't even know what it was until I had to go back and listen to it. So, Some of you here for the first time, you're thinking, this church is kind of strange and weird. And yes, that is true. You walked in, you heard secular music playing. You walked in, you got Michael Jackson being played from the stage. We're talking about songs and music here. What's the connection? Here's the connection. We are in this series called Mixtape, and we said that for many of us, when we were younger, we would make mixtapes, cassette tapes, with our favorite band on it, favorite songs on it, so we could hear all these different musicians. And then now today, we've got our playlist that we can put together on our, on our telephones, and we can, they're not actually called telephones anymore, but our phones, and, and we can listen to those playlists over and over and over again. But what we said is the Bible has this incredible, incredible playlist that God has put together for you and I, and it's called the Book of Psalms. And so over the course of the summer series, we are focusing on a different psalm every single week because there's so much that we can learn from these songs that were written thousands of years ago. If you know much about the book of Psalms, there's 150 songs in the book of Psalms. They were written over the course of about 900 years, some dating back even to the time of Moses. Many of these songs, about 73 of them, are connected to King David. Either he wrote them or they were written for him or about him. And so there's this beautiful, beautiful list of of songs that that we get an opportunity to look at. Again, they're thousands of years old. Here's the cool part about these songs. Even to this day, they're used for weddings and funerals and parties and celebrations. I mean, that's a pretty incredible playlist if, if you think about that. 
And so again, every week we're looking at these different psalms from the book of songs. And today we're looking at song number 109. Psalm 109. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to 109. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles there in front of you in those seats. You can grab one, turn to Psalm 109. Uh, You can take notes on your program, and you can follow along on our Journey Church app if you'd like to do that this morning too. But this um, this is an interesting song that David writes. Psalm 109. I'm reading now the NLT version, so maybe different than NIV if you picked up one of the Bibles underneath the seats. I just like the translation here for this one. Here's what it says. Verses 1 through 4. Oh God, whom I praise, don't stand silent and aloof. While the wicked slander me and tell lies about me. They surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. If you have kids, their number one not and gift that they have is listening, right? Kids don't listen. And so you can tell your kids, hey, don't do this because you're going to get hurt. And then about 10 minutes later, that kid's going to run to you crying, wanting assistance because they got hurt. And you ask them, what did you do? And they tell you exactly what they did, what is exactly what you told them not to do a few minutes earlier, right? It's not a gift that kids have. They don't listen very well. And we tell them that you got hurt because you didn't listen to what I told you. But we kind of expect that when it comes to kids. We don't really expect that when it comes to God. And so we pray to God and we ask God, God, help me in this. God, are you listening in this? And it seems like sometimes no matter how much we pray, it's like God's not listening. This is what we find here with David. David's like, hey, God, man, I love you. I praise you. I follow you. But, you know, I've been praying and you ain't listening to anything I'm saying. And I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying. And God, it doesn't sound like you're doing anything that I'm asking you to do. Now, there's sort of this this feeling here with what what David is is writing about, that he's saying, hey, God, I'm innocent in everything that's happening. Because he tells God, he's like, God, I got a problem. I, I got these people who I love and I care about. And no matter what, here's what's happening. They're lying about me. They're slandering me. They're fighting me. They're making these accusations against me. And so, God, I just don't understand what's happening here. David's almost saying, hey, God, I got my stuff together. I'm a good guy. I'm a follower of yours. I'm innocent in this. And and these people are guilty. Now, we don't know why David wrote this particular song. We're not sure about the time frame here. But what we do know is this was someone who was close to him that he has felt has hurt him in an incredible, incredible way. And so David's asking that question, God, where are you? And then David writes these words, which are kind of strange. Verses 6 through 25, we're not going to read all of this. I just want to read these first few. He says, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May a creditor seize all he has. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. I think David's a little bit bitter, right? He's just a little bit bitter. I mean, he's been praying to God about this particular situation, and nothing's happening. And then he's like, all right, God, I'm actually going to ask nicely. I'm going to be polite. He says, may I, right? So that's what we teach our may I, not can I, but may I. And so he says, God, may I, may, may his children, may these things happen to his kids, to his family, to him. 
Those are, those are pretty intense words. And in fact, again, they continue on through verse 25. This is a prayer that's all about one thing. It's all about revenge. And Psalm 109 is actually known as the cussing psalm. It is. It's known as the cussing psalm because David's so angry. That David is angry and he's mad and he's frustrated and he's writing these words down. He's cursing these people. He's asking God to curse these people. And so David, David's upset. And again, he feels like God's not listening to what's happening to him because these people are hurting him. But again, this is a song about revenge. Sometimes revenge can be fun, Right? I'm not talking about the bad revenge. I'm talking about the revenge that we have sometimes with our spouses or our boyfriend and girlfriend, about a family member. Somebody's done something funny to us, and we, we get them back. You, you know the moments I'm talking about? Uh, when Kara and I, before we had kids, we, uh, we got a dog. Because I can tell you, if you think about having kids in the future, get a dog first. That teaches you what it's going to be like to have kids. And so we had a Jack Russell terror that we had for, uh, yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Her name was Myrtle. Um, she lived 17 years. We actually had to put her down right before we moved here, which was a sad moment for everybody except for me. But anyway, um, <laughs> she, was a, she was a pretty good dog, but had a lot, lot, lot of energy. So uh, Myrtle, before, again, we had kids, um, sometimes Myrtle would leave doggy treats around the house, kind of don't smell real good. And so this one particular evening, I smelt one of these doggy treats, and, and I went and picked it up, and Sometimes you just do things, right? So I picked it up. My, my wife, Kara, she was, I think she was laying on the couch. She had her arm out. And um, I took the doggy treat, and I thought, oh, this would be funny. And so I kind of took it over where her hand was. <laughs> this is where the stories kind of take divergent paths. <laughs> if you're married, you understand this. And, and so I, my story is that I had the doggy treat there, and she moved her hand and touched it. Her story is I basically took it and smashed it into her hand, which I don't remember that being the case at all. Um, and, and she didn't laugh quite as much as I was expecting. She was a little upset. She chased me around the apartment, and, you know, we laughed about it later. A, a few days later, we're getting ready for bed, and Kara's like, hey, come on, come on and get into bed. I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, oh, just come on over here. Just lay down. Put your, just put your head down on the pillow. Just, just rest. Just, just get to sleep. You've had a really long day. And, and you know those moments when your spouse has something deep, dark, evil inside of them? <laughs> Because something's just totally different than those other moments. This was one of those moments. I'm like, something's up. I'm like, oh, you want me to put my head on, on my pillow there? She's like, yeah, just lay down. Put your head right here on the pillow. I knew something was going on, especially when I looked at the pillow and it wasn't flat. There was a little bump right in the middle. And so I was like, you want me to put my head here? She's like, yeah, yeah, just lay your head down. I know you're so tired. Again, this was all out of character. And I said, why? <laughs> if you know my wife, you know this is true. So why do you want me to do this? She's like, you're just tired. And I said, no, I know the reason why. And I pulled open the pillowcase, and inside was a Myrtle doggy treat. <laughs> now, here's the funniest part about this whole story. My wife's a clean freak, okay? She loves to keep things clean, which I am very appreciative of because I sometimes can be the opposite. She put the doggy treat in a Ziploc bag <laughs> zipped up. <laughs> so there's no cleaning you have to do, right? I'm like, honey, if you're going to get revenge, actually just put the doggy treat in there and don't put the bag on it. She's like, I don't want to clean it. I was like, okay, we're, we're even now. <laughs> That's what we do sometimes when it comes to revenge, right? There, there are those fun moments with people that we love and that we care about. But revenge can be a lot darker than that. In William Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice, 
Shylock says, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? There's sort of this feeling here with Shylock that revenge is normal. Like, like it's a part of life. It's something that we should expect to do, that, that it's part of being human. But what we really know about revenge is that revenge comes from a lot deeper and darker place within us. That something has happened to us, an experience that we have had has brought on this bitterness and we're holding on to something that we, we're afraid to let go of. Over the next few moments, I want to talk about where that revenge feeling comes from and then how we can deal with those moments where we feel like we've got to get revenge on somewhere else, on someone else. Here's the first place that revenge begins. Revenge begins with hurt. It begins with hurt. Revenge isn't something where you're in the Wegmans parking lot and you see somebody you're like, I'm going to get back at them. Well, what do they do to you? Nothing. I'm just going to get at them. And so they leave their car and you slice their tire. Maybe you follow them home. You egg their house. You wait till they leave. You steal their Amazon Prime packages from their porch. That's not revenge, right? That's being a psychopath. That's a totally different part. <laughs> revenge is something very different. Revenge begins with hurt. It begins with hurt. I was reading an article this past week on an uh, online magazine called Gizmodo, and the title of the article was When a Stranger Decides to Destroy Your Life. It was all about this uh, real estate agent who um, had responded to a Facebook post, and, and the Facebook post was talking about some event that had taken place, and she, she wrote on this Facebook post her comment, kind of what she was feeling about, where she thought this was coming from, telling about her experiences and how this had impacted her. Well, someone had, had read her particular post, and they commented on her post saying, hey, I don't agree with you. And so this back and forth took place, and everything that I read from the Facebook post and everything that was on there, this real estate agent handled it, handled it very well. She, she did a great job telling how she felt and where this was coming from with her. Well, this other individual was just, just really just hammering her over and over and over again. And finally, the, this lady got so upset with the real estate agent that she went on this website that is used to, um, to tell people about spouses that cheat and she made up this salacious, horrible, detailed story about this real estate agent and saying that she was in this role to have affairs and she was using her job to meet men. And, and it was so detailed that people, people started going after the real estate agent. It was all made up. It was all lies. This real estate agent almost lost her business because of this. Here's someone who was hurt. Now, this real estate agent didn't mean to hurt that individual. But, but something happened within that interaction. And here's this person who's hurt. And so what does she do? She seeks revenge. See, sometimes that revenge comes when we have interactions like that. We're seeing more and more of that today because of the proliferation of, of social media. But, but many times the people that hurt us are people that we know. It's our spouse. It's a close friend. Uh, it's a boyfriend. It's a girlfriend. It's someone that we've spent a lot of time with. It may be even a coworker. And those individuals hurt us. And when they hurt us, and it doesn't feel good at all. That, that hurt and that pain from that experience, from that moment, it stays with us. That hurt messes with our emotions. It affects our view of ourself. It impacts our view of others. Starting point for revenge is hurt. But then we find the second step with this is that hurt people grow bitter. 
Hurt people grow bitter. And that bitterness continues to grow and grow inside of us. In 1876, at the Philadelphia World's Fair, in the, in the Centennial Exposition, farmers were introduced to a brand new plant. And it was a plant that was there to, to fight erosion. Well, they didn't use it at the time, but when the Dust Bowl started to happen there in the early 1900s, the farmers were like, hey, please give us that plant. So they took this plant and they began to plant it all throughout the, the Midwest and specifically more so in, in the South. But here's what they found out about this particular plant. It grew at an alarming rate, about one foot every single day. And, and the vines, the mature vines on this plant would grow at about 100 feet. The name of this particular plant or the, the tagline that it went by was the vine that ate the south. If you're from somewhere like North Carolina, like I am, it's got the Japanese name of kudzu. See, what they found with kudzu is that it did its job. It worked for, for soil, soil, soil erosion. That would be a good one. Soil erosion. But it was even more than that. It began to damage and kill plants and trees. And they're like, this isn't quite what we were expecting it to be. See, here's the deal with something like kudzu. I, I think hurt people are very much like kudzu. It's sort of this, this, this seed is planted in us, and, and it doesn't grow slowly. It grows quickly. And it spreads within us. This bitterness spreads within us. And not only does it spread within us, but, but you can't hold bitterness back, especially when you're full of it. And so it explodes out from us, and it damages everything around us. It damages our relationships. It damages our attitude. It damages us physically and emotionally and spiritually because that hurt is so deep within us. We have to learn how to deal with that hurt. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. When we allow hurt to build up in us, that bitterness grows and grows and grows. And as that scripture says, it means trouble for us and trouble for those around us. Because that root has taken hold inside of us. And then it comes out, right? And it comes out in the form of, of anger and hateful words and actions that, that many times we, we wish we could, we could take back. We have these attempts to hurt other people because of the bitterness and the hurt that we hold on to. And that hurt and that bitterness, it changes us. And not only us, but it changes those around us. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know any bitter people? You probably do. A coworker. Um, a family member, a mom, an in-law, close friend. I mean, all of us in here, we probably know someone who is, is bitter because we know the traits of bitter people. Some of those traits are they lose their cool to small things. They're critical of everything. They snap quickly. They're rude. They're negative. They're judgmental. Those are the kind of people that we love to spend a lot of time with, Right? No, you don't want to be around those people. You don't want to invite them to parties because you're afraid what they're going to do. And so we know who bitter people are. Let me ask you another question. Are you that bitter person? Am I that bitter person? Am I the person that, that loses their cool easily, that's always critical, that snaps at others? Am I rude? Am I negative? Am I judgmental? Do I look at other people and say, hey, they're always wrong and I'm always right? That's bitterness. 
That's bitterness that has taken hold of us. And if we are bitter people, here's the deal. We're going to use that to hurt others. We're going to try to hurt the person that hurt us, but sometimes it even spreads beyond that and it hurts others, just like we read here in the book of Hebrews. So how do you and I tend to deal with that bitterness? Where bitter people seek revenge. Bitter people seek revenge. Again, if we go back to Psalm 109, we don't know what the circumstances are for what David wrote here. What we do know is that he's hurt, he's bitter, he's angry, and he asks God, God, get revenge on this person. Get revenge on this person. That's the same response you and I have so many times. We're hurt, we're bitter, we want revenge. There's a song that came out about 10 years ago called Pray For You. I just want to read the verse and then part of the course to you. Here's how it begins. It says, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great until they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job and just, or you just pray for them. That sounds good, right? Here's the course. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. <laughs> I'm going to skip one little piece here. It says, I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. <laughs> Sounds like a good relationship, doesn't it? Now, some of us maybe have prayed that kind of prayer before. I, I hope not. But, but when we're hurt, we seek revenge on those who hurt us. And the, the purpose behind the song is here's this guy who's been hurt by his girlfriend. He's been scorned by her. And so he wants to get back at her. And so he seeks revenge and he prays a prayer that's very much like what David prayed here in Psalm 109. Again, when we're hurt, we lash out. We hold on to that bitterness. We go after that individual. We seek revenge. And I think many times we do that because we don't know how to handle that pain. We don't know how to handle that hurt. But the other part of this is when we're hurt, sometimes we take the pain out on somebody else. We seek revenge on other people. And this is kind of strange because we're hurt and it's so deep inside of us and that bitterness is, is so far a, a part of who we are, really a part of our personality, that maybe that hurt that we experienced came many years ago. From, from a parent, from a, 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 a family friend, from, from again, from a close friend, and you're not connected to them anymore. Maybe that passed away. And so you, you carry the bitterness from that. You've never dealt with it. And so what do we do with that? We're still seeking revenge on that individual for, for tens of years ago. And so we're trying to figure out how do I deal with this? Oh, I got an idea. I'm going to get revenge on others. Because if I'm carrying this much pain, I'm carrying this much hurt, then you should feel the exact same way. See, we're seeking revenge on that person who hurt us, even though we're not connected to them anymore. And the impact is on those around us. Revenge is a very, very powerful emotion that we have. And what we do is we tell ourselves, if I get revenge, I'm going to feel better, right? Kevin Carl Smith is a professor, or was a professor at Colgate University. He did a study on revenge. So he had this group of students do this investment game. And the whole idea was at the end of this investment game, whatever was left over, whatever money was made, the, the people in that group, they would split those funds equally. Well, in each one of these groups, what he did, he put a free rider in there. We would call them freeloaders probably. He called them a free rider. And he said, your purpose, and nobody else knew this within the group, your purpose is to go in there and have everybody give the exact same amount. 
And so the free riders did exactly what they were supposed to do. They went in, they changed everybody's mind, so everybody ended up giving the exact same amount. Here was the catch. The free riders actually didn't give anything. And so at the end, when all the money was plowed together and they split it all up, everybody got the same amount. Well, the free riders got more money than everybody else because they didn't put any money in in the first place. Carl Smith went back to one of the groups and he said, here's the deal. I'm going to let you seek revenge on the free rider. Do you want to do it? Everybody in that group said, yep, we're in. We, we want to get back at that person. Now, the prediction was that if they did this, they were going to feel better, right? They had been hurt. They were carrying a little bit of bitterness. And now they get revenge. So they let them do it. They let them get revenge. What they found was that group actually felt worse. The problem was they were holding on to that bitterness. In fact, they couldn't even let it go. They were so upset at the free rider. One of the other groups, he said, hey, you got a free rider in your group. They got more money than you, but you can't get revenge on them. Again, the prediction was these people were going to be more upset because they didn't have that opportunity to get revenge. What they found was those individuals were actually happier. They wanted revenge, but they couldn't get it. What they figured out was this became just a, a trivial situation to them. It wasn't as important as they thought it was. And sometimes that hurt and pain that we have, that we hold on to, we think it's a big deal. But, but if we really sat back and thought about it and worked through it, sometimes it's not as big as we think it is. The explanation for this study was when we don't get revenge, again, we trivialize the situation at hand. And when we do get revenge, we feel worse. And the reason is that bitterness doesn't go away. It continues to swell and spread out. And we keep wanting to get revenge on those who hurt us. As we know, bitterness is not healthy. And when we hold it too long, it messes with us physically and emotionally and spiritually. And we seek revenge. Again, what does bitterness look like in us? Three quick questions to ask. Do I easily see the bad in others? Do I feel justified criticizing and judging others? Do I secretly celebrate the misfortune of others? Something in us wants to pray the prayers of David. We, we, we want to sing a song like that song we, we just read. That's what we want to do. But in the end, that bitterness is not healthy for us. Here, here's how we deal with that bitterness and that feelings of, of wanting revenge. We've got to change our prayers. We've got to change the prayers that we pray. And I think the first prayer we pray is God change them. God, work in their lives. God, something happened here. We're not in a healthy situation within this relationship. God, change them. Work in their lives. God can do some amazing things when we're not the ones not trying to seek out the revenge. When we allow God to begin to work in them. But here's a more important prayer. God, change me. God, change me. In fact, if you want to pray the prayer of revenge, if you want to pray Song 109, you probably need to start with God, change me. God, change my heart. God, change me in this moment. Uh, one of the things I, I tell people that I counsel and I tell my kids all the time, if something doesn't happen quite the, the way that they were expecting within a relationship, I'm like, hey, you don't know where they're coming from. You see, you're making assumptions about them. You don't know that where that pain came from and where that hurt has come from because it could come from a very deep place inside of them. What we need to begin to pray is, God, change me. Help me to interact with this individual who's, who's seeking this revenge on me. Help me to, to interact in a healthy way. God, change me when I'm seeking that revenge. Because, again, we don't know where that hurt's coming from from that individual. 
God, change me. And maybe our prayer needs to be this one from Ephesians 4, 31. You know, God, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior within me. Get rid of this stuff that's just spreading inside of me and out. This would have been sage advice for David a few hundred years before Paul. This was sage advice for Paul, and I still believe here we are a couple thousand years later. This is sage advice for you and me. God, change me. Get rid of this pain, this hurt, this rage, this revenge. Here's what I would say, say quickly for next steps. First thing is pray for God to change me. I think that's probably the best prayer to pray. We can pray for God to change them, but really maybe the, the bigger thing is within us. God, pray or pray to God to change me. Secondly, I talk about this quite a bit. You guys may get tired of it. Counseling is so important. Um, sometimes those issues are so deep. That pain is so deep. We need somebody to, to help us take healthy new steps out of that with the issue that we have with that individual, with the problem that we have with that person. And counseling is a great way to do that. Let a counselor or a third party work through that with you and maybe even bring the two of you together. Let them mediate the situation. But counseling is important. And then lastly, keep our focus on Jesus. In verse 30 and 31, David says, But I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone, for he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. Here's the deal. David says, God, I still love you. I still care about you. This is where I am. This is what I'm feeling. And honestly, I don't know that that's a bad thing. If sometimes we, we sit down and we write out, God, this is, this is the pain I'm feeling. This is what I desire to happen. Now, don't post it anywhere, okay? Don't send it in an email. But sometimes you just got to write it down. I almost wonder, was this like the B-side of David's songs and it just got out? But David's got this. But at the same time, he's like, God, I'm still connected to you. I still love you. I still praise you. You and I, maybe we need to keep our focus on Christ. That even in these moments where we're angry and we're mad and we're bitter, God, let Jesus just invade my life to change me and to transform me, to make me different. Bitterness, anger, hate, revenge, none of it's healthy. We need to give it to God. I say, God, change me. Lead me through this dark place to where you want me to be, let me focus on Jesus. Every week here at The Journey, we come together. That's exactly what we do. We spend this moment at the end of our service focusing on Jesus. Some people think this is sort of an afterthought. To me, this isn't. Everything that we do on a Sunday morning builds up to this one moment where we stop for, for just a few seconds, for a few minutes, and we are reminded the power of God. We're reminded of God's love for us. That God said, I know people are going to hurt you. I know you're going to carry this bitterness. I know you're going to seek out revenge. But here's the deal. I'm going to send my son to you. That you can focus on him. That in those tough times, he will be there for you. To lead you to a place of health. To lead you to a place where you're focused on Christ in such a way that, that our prayers are being heard by God. And God is at work. Sometimes we don't ever see it. In amazing ways. So that we're transformed by God's power through Christ.